I was just thinking, do you have to wear sandals to be part of the worship band? It's a dress code requirement. So I'm going to start my message here in a second, but before I do, I have a, here I am, I have a video to introduce the message. And before we play the video, sorry, before we play the video, I just want you to understand, it's meant to be humorous. So if anybody is offended by the video, I want you to talk to Jason after the service. (laughs) (laughs) Because the video is called How to Worship. Okay, and then after the short three-minute, 41-second video, I'll come up and we'll get into our message. We're going to step out of Mark today and just do something a little different, and then we'll get back into Mark next week. Is that okay, Senior? All right, excellent. Appropriately, This instructional film will attempt to provide some clear guidelines for those of you who feel this way. Clapping. Since most worship sets begin with upbeat songs, Clapping along with the fast songs can serve as an easy and effective way to loosen up. But when attempting to do this, you may find yourself wondering, what beats should I clap on? (laughs) Don't worry. This tends to puzzle the better part of most suburban congregations. Clapping on beat is really quite simple. In 4-4 time, you clap on beats 2 and 4. In cut time or 2-4, you clap on beat 2, not 1. On an up-tempo 6-8 feel, clap on beat 4. If the song is in 3-quarter time, there's typically no need to clap. Just watch the drummer's left hand. When he hits the snare, you should clap. Dancing. There may be times during your worship experience that you feel the need to express yourself physically, but are unsure of how to do so appropriately. This is totally normal. Just remember that odds are no one around you knows how to dance either. The easiest way is to jump up and down to the rhythm of the song. To call this dancing is really quite generous, as casual observers would likely call it hopping in place. But it works for most people. If jumping in church is too far out of your comfort zone, some safer alternatives include the knee bender, heel popper, or stationary march. Remember, the dancing is only acceptable on fast songs. Breaking into a jig during a slow song will likely make you appear insane. Hand raising. Many people raise their hands during worship as an act of surrender, but one should be careful to do so in a considerate manner. Ask yourself these questions. Am I wearing deodorant? If the answer is no, don't just go raising your hands as high as you can, as this could be a distraction to your neighbor. Instead, employ the half-mast method and spare your friends the agony. How much room do I have? Before you throw your hands in the air, and wave them like you just don't care, take a quick glance around you to check for available space. Nothing can ruin a worship experience faster than having your eyeball gouged out by an inconsiderate worshiper. Sincerity. Anyone can simply sing, dance, and clap their hands, but how do you show God that you are sincere in your efforts? Simple. You must use appropriate facial expressions at all times. This is usually accomplished by pretending to be in varying amounts of discomfort. Let's try it. Raise your hands to just above the shoulders. Now imagine you're passing a kidney stone. Nicely done. Very authentic looking. Also, remember to close your eyes. 
You can't communicate with the Lord with your eyes open. That's a rule. If you simply must have them open, at least look up at the ceiling or something. It makes you appear more spiritual. Now you possess all of the tools necessary to worship God effectively, or to at least appear so. Jason's right over here, by the way. Okay. So I've titled this message today, Singing for the Glory of God. Singing for the Glory of God. And we're not going to be in a particular text, we're just going to look at various texts. Clapping, dancing, hand-raising, sincerity, the video dealt with all of those, but one thing I found missing in the video, and by the way, I show that just because I think sometimes we take ourselves a little bit too seriously. I'm all about taking the Word of God seriously, I'm all about taking Jesus Christ seriously, but... When it comes to ourselves, I think we can calm down just a little bit. So just some humor before we get into a more serious topic this morning. But one thing that wasn't addressed in that video was just the fact of singing. The fact of singing it was kind of either assumed or it's kind of left out. And it's really fundamental. The act of singing is fundamental to the time that we set aside each week to worship God in that particular way. So all I want to do this morning, quickly, is I hope to basically encourage those of you who sing on Sunday morning to reinforce that participation. And for those of you who don't, you don't participate in that way, to encourage you to participate, to maybe give you something to think about, because maybe you just don't even think about it. You're not even sure you need to do it. And I want to kind of talk through those things with you this morning. Okay? So... Let me define sing as Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines the word sing. It is to utter words in musical tones and with musical inflections and modulations. That's a, that's a technical definition. Another one would be, and I like this, to relate or celebrate something in verse. To relate or celebrate something in verse. I think if you put those two definitions together, that's a pretty good definition of sing. One definition that some of you may relate with better, though, is to make a shrill whining or whistling sound. <laughs> and that's actually for, like, birds or animals. When they say they are singing, that's what it's referencing. So before we talk about singing together as a church, and, and I just want you to realize this is not a small issue. We spend the second most part of our time on a Sunday morning singing, primarily in the Word of God. But the second biggest portion of our service every morning is singing. So it is not an element, it is a huge element of what we do when we come together on Sunday. I want you to consider Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 10. We were in that book this morning. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like, you can. 1 Corinthians 10.31, that'll come up on the screen here. I want you to consider this passage before we look specifically at some reasons why we sing together on Sunday morning. And I want it to be the umbrella that covers our conversation. Paul says there, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, everything, and do all to the glory of God. It's interesting because this uh, passage has been quoted often by Christians. Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So I've titled today's message, Singing to the Glory of God. If I'm going to do all to the glory of God, then that would include my singing. Right, my singing as I come together with the body. Do all, the, do all to the glory of God, God means to live in such a way that honors the Lord. 
that honors the Lord. So everything I do seeks as and has its goal as to honor God, to honor Him. So whether I'm in the workplace or whether I'm in a, a marriage or other, whether I'm in a relationship, family or friends, or whether I'm here with the body of Christ, everything I do should have as its umbrella and my goal honoring the Lord, honoring God, glorifying Him. It is worth noting, though, in this passage, and like many passages in Scripture, this one is typically ripped out of its context. In other words, people just know this passage. You should do all to the glory of God. But they don't necessarily know when the statement was made or in the context that Paul made that statement. And that's important here. After talking about an issue where Paul, in this section of 1 Corinthians, is basically instructing the church about how their actions, what they do or what they don't do, might impact other people, Paul makes this statement. And before this section starts, at the very beginning of this section, these are the words, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Paul starts by saying, before he gets to that passage we just read, do all to the glory of God, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful All things are lawful, but not all things build up. By build up, he means edify or encourage or or strengthen the body. He's writing to a church. He's not writing to an individual. He's writing to the church in Corinth. Then he says, let no one within the church seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And we're not going to break that all down, but he was dealing with an issue that was going on regarding some meat that they were eating that was sacrificed to idols. And so he dealt with that whole issue, but his premise is, whatever you do, make sure you're looking out for the other person's interest and welfare. Don't seek your own good, even in something as simple as what meat you eat or don't eat, whether it's been sacrificed to idols or not, make sure you're thinking about the other Christian, the other person. So when he says all things are lawful, he's saying, listen, we have freedoms in Christ. But if we abuse those freedoms or use them and it hurts somebody else, then we have missed the point and we are not living to the glory of God. So the quick point here is whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That concept, and I want to bring it into singing for the glory of God at the end of this message, it was in a context of instructing Christians to consider others as more important than themselves. See, we just say, do all to the glory of God. What does that mean? What does that really mean? Well, it means to honor the Lord. What does that really mean? Well, in this context, in this section, it meant that all of my actions, everything I do, must be regulated by a sacrificial love for one another. A sacrificial love for one another that originates by a Holy Spirit-produced desire to glorify and honor God with my entire life. Okay? So if we're going to sing to the glory of God, we're going to be thinking about how to lift others up, about how to edify them, about how to build them up. We're seeking to promote their welfare, even over our own. It includes that. It includes that. So under that overriding theme or concept of doing all to the glory of God, then we'll look at three reasons, and you can open your bulletins and see an outline inside, 
why we sing together on Sundays. Three reasons, just three. And realize there's no way in 35 minutes I'm going to cover all that could possibly be said about singing to God. We call this worship, beloved. It is a part of our worship. It is not the only time we worship. We worship God, hopefully, all the time. We are worshipers. We have been called to worship. But one way in which we worship is to sing. Is to sing. And so we're going to consider three reasons why we sing together on Sunday so that we, we might all be moved to participate in this form of praise in a manner that glorifies God. Okay? That's where we're going this morning. You ready? Wow. You ready? Okay, so there's a couple in the front that are ready. And are you, are you ready? ready? Yeah, okay. We're not going to do like a sound off. All right, now this section, are you ready? No? Okay. I know, you're thinking, I could have been at the beach. I could have been doing something. <laughs> but hopefully you'll be blessed by this. Hopefully. I, I trust. The historical reason is the first one. The historical reason. It is simply this, beloved. The people of God throughout the ages have customarily gathered together to sing. And they've done this using truthful language about God, lyrics of praise to God, and expressions of adoration about God. Singing to God as a group of believers, by the way, it's not a new thing or something that the church started because they thought, how do we make the service longer? How do we fill the gaps? How do we give the people something before the guy gets up and preach? That's not the case. This, this God-glorifying habit has been the practice of the church going all the way back to the nation of Israel, the people that God called to himself thousands of years ago. Zondervan's Dictionary of Bible Themes, it's just a book, a good book to reference about particular Bible topics. If you look up the word singing... It defines it this way. It is the musical voicing of praise to God. I like that. The musical voicing of praise to God. It goes on to say, on account of God's majesty and great acts of salvation, singing was a regular part of the life of Israel and the early church. As you read the Old Testament, by the way, you'll have no problem. In fact, you won't have to look long or hard to find references to God's people engaging in songs to their Lord and encouraging one another to sing audibly, out loud, and even loudly. I know Jason once in a while will talk about singing loudly and the people of God sing loudly. They wanted their brothers and sisters to hear them. It's not like God can't hear them. You can sing at any audible level and God will hear you. Why sing loudly then? So that others could hear you. And they did. Look at this passage. We'll just have some passages up here on the screen. Psalm 33. And by the way, I'm only going to cover a few passages. I'm barely touching the surface of the water on this. We could dive way down for weeks in this discussion. But I just want to get you guys thinking a little bit about this. Since it, since it occupies such a huge portion of what we do on Sunday morning, or even when we come together in our smaller groups throughout the week. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Just keep that 
phrase in your mind. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. It's an instrument. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Praise befits the upright, beloved. In other words, in context, praising God with musical instruments, which is what we have up here, a few, there are others, praising God with musical instruments and song is appropriate behavior for those who follow the Lord. That's what it means to befit. It is appropriate behavior for those who follow the Lord. Or to say it another way, not doing so would be inappropriate or not fitting for a Christian. Does that make sense? And I think some people just don't, even, they don't know. But that's what the psalmist is saying. It befits the upright. The man who recently threw his seven-year-old off the boat in the Newport Harbor, I don't know if you guys heard about that, but he tossed his, his kid off, into the, off a boat. He demonstrated behavior that does not befit a father. Okay, just to kind of illustrate this. It was inappropriate to say the least. Fathers are supposed to protect their children, right? Not throw their kids into harm's way, which is what this dad unfortunately did. Likewise, beloved, when God's people come together, they should sing His praises. They should sing His praises, not remain silent while others engage in this most suitable and fitting behavior. Okay, so that's what it means to befit the upright. It is what God's people do. It is what you would expect of God's people. Psalm 104, 33. The psalmist says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. And, and as is customary in, in these sections, he says the same thing but in another way in the next sentence. I will sing praise to my God while I have being, while I have life. As long as I can breathe and my heart is pumping, I will sing praise to my God. I wonder if that's our, our attitude or if that's our heart. The praise of God's people, by the way, has never been solely a private matter, meaning just between one person and God. Yeah, I'll sing to God, but it's just about me and, and God. Do it in private, in my closet or in my room or in my car. Praise through song has been used by God's people to communicate the truth of God to those around them. And you see this even in what the psalmists record. For instance, in Psalm 57, 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Among the nations. In other words, I don't keep this stuff to myself. I am singing out loud about my God to the people around me. Psalm 89.1 He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. That is, yes, there it is. One reason, uh, by the way, and then it says, with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness, God, to all the generations. Just so you know, this is one of the reasons we keep the children in here until the singing, the most of the singing is over. I don't know if you knew that. I know some churches, and it, this is not 
it's fine if churches do it differently, okay? Some churches, the kids are immediately, dis, you know, you drop, drop them off somewhere and they're not part of the main worship service per se. But we, we prefer them to be in here so that they can hear the praises, they can participate in the praises, and they can sing, see mom and dad, Lord willing, singing the praises of God. And by that they begin to know the faithfulness of God as we sing about it during that time. And it's passed on now from one generation to the next generation to the next. I know for me, myself, who's been in church a long time and knows some of the songs, if you've sung them over and over again, they become a part of you. And actually you will find yourself even singing these songs at various times out loud and even in times of great difficulty, I have found that just singing a song of praise to God has helped me and maybe even helped my family in that time. It's just continuing to communicate in another way and in another form the faithfulness of God. By the way, the New Testament is not silent on singing either. It reflects that what we know from history that singing was a central part of the church's worship of God. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's instruction again, not to a person. It's very important to remember this. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's saying, Don't be controlled through the intoxication of liquor or wine but be controlled instead by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And then he says, here's one way that that works itself out. It manifests itself. Addressing one another, addressing one another, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's one of the signs of a Spirit-controlled believer. It's one of the things, hopefully, that they'll be encouraged to do. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. One writer says this about that phrase, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The verbal singing and playing should be a genuine representation of the beliefs and feelings of the performer. Now, that word performer probably seems strange as if someone's giving a performance. It's just referencing the person either playing the instrument or singing out praise. So he's saying it should be genuine. It should come from the heart. You know, the video talked about sincerity and made a joke about, you know, look up, at least you'll look more holy as you worship the Lord. That's meant to be humorous. And hopefully that's not our condition, where we're just trying to look like we're really praising God. But hopefully, and I've said this to someone else, Sunday is actually the result of people worshiping God Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday individually in their areas, in their communities, in their workplaces, in their homes, and then they all come together. And now they worship God in celebration together. If you're not worshiping Monday through Saturday, then Sunday is very difficult. It's like trying to you know, it's like it used to be you had to go out and warm up the car. I know we don't do that anymore, but back in the long time ago, like my grandfather's day and stuff, you had to get the car going, warm it up, let it run for a couple minutes before you, you gave it the gas. 
Now we don't understand that because of all the technology and fuel injection. But it's kind of like that. If you're not already warmed up, then you're not ready to rev, baby, when you come to church on Sunday. And so there's like this lethargy. You're not, you're not necessarily even excited. And it may take even two or three songs, or maybe you don't even get it at all. But that's foreign to the idea of, of church. The idea is that there are worshipers of God experiencing God throughout the week. They can't wait to get together with God's people. And then there's a new level of worship that takes place. Something that I can't experience outside of my brothers and sisters. I don't even know where I am. I lost my place. Oh, here it is. This makes, he goes on to say, this phrase makes a contrast between the music of Christians sung together in praise to God and the heathen or the non-believer sung merely for entertainment and self-praise. That brings me to the next reason we sing together on Sunday. Here's the next reason. It's the vertical reason. The vertical reason. What do you think I mean by that? I, yeah, I don't know either. I was hoping you guys had an answer. <laughs> vertical. So vertical, like if you have vertigo, well, vertical is looking, is up, up and down. Because we're going to talk about horizontal. That's this way. Okay? Vertical is this way. Vertical, straight beam, cross beam, horizontal. There you go. This is vertical. We're looking up. We sing because, well, let me ask you this. Do we sing because we're told to? Okay, now, you see it here. This is the time that we sing together. So we expect all of you to comply with what we do here at Summit Bible Church. Is that why you, is that why you sing? Or do you do it because you just feel like, you know, that's what they expect of me. So that's what they'll do. Or you just see everyone else do it. So you're just, you know, one of those people. You just go with the flow and, hey, they're doing it. Your neighbor's clapping, so you'll start clapping, right? Poorly, but you'll do your best. Watch the drummer with his left hand. Or, beloved, or is there some other greater motivating factor that should cause us to sing with the people of God? Is there something more powerful than just being told to or expected to, guilted into it? And I, I, I would say yes, Senior, I would agree with you. And that, that's something way more significant and motivating is God Himself. It is that vertical reason. As we sing about who He is <laughs> and what He has done, not only in history, beloved, but for us personally. As we sing about the truths of the cross and our salvation, as we sing about what He is going to do in the future, that should inspire genuine and authentic worship. As we, in a sense, beloved, look vertically, as we look up with our minds and our hearts to God, we look up to a holy God that is exalted far and above His creation. When we do that, we can easily find unlimited reasons and motivations for offering Him praise in any and every 
form that is appropriate to bring Him the honor that He is worthy of. Singing is one form, beloved. Just one. It is a good one. But it is one form believers use to offer up to God the praise He greatly and rightly deserves. That is why we sing. King David, the greatest king that ever lived over the nation of Israel, reflecting on some very difficult times in his life and remembering and recalling his God and the greatness of his God. He penned these words in Psalm 59, verse 16. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Beloved, as David looked up, as he looked up, even in some very difficult times in his life, his heart welled up with praise and his voice sang about the strength and the steadfast love of his God. But it was because he looked up. He meditated upon. You know, one of the things, I'm going to tell you right now, personally for me, and I know it is for you too, is that when we come here on Sunday morning, we may have been worshiping God all week, but there's also a lot of other stuff that we experience throughout the week. And a lot of it is not so good. So when we get here, we bring all that. And this is what I have to do every time. I have to take a moment to just say, God, will you help me set that aside to be with God's people and to rightly bring you the praise you deserve this morning? God, would you help me to remember you and your love and your strength and all of the abundance that you are and have been to me? that I might rightly praise you this morning. And beloved, there are times when I have not done that, and it does impact me, and it impacts you too. David says again in Psalm 13, 6, I love this, I will sing to the Lord. <laughs> you want to know why, David says? Bountifully, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Bountifully. How has the Lord dealt with David? Harshly, cruelly, grudgingly? No. Generously, kindly, lovingly. How has the Lord dealt with you, beloved? How has He dealt with you? Remembering that caused David to sing. And I'll just say here real quick. Typically, maybe it's not always true, but typically men have a harder time singing than women. And honestly, I'm not sure why it is. I've been told sometimes people feel like that singing is a feminine thing as opposed to a masculine thing. 
I'm not sure if that's the reason why someone doesn't sing. Someone may not sing because they just don't know that it's part of worshiping God. Or I've heard other reasons. I sing terribly, which we'll talk about in a second when we get to our horizontal reason. If that is your reason, I accept that because I sing terribly too. But I want to I challenge you on that a little bit because I still sing the demise of my wife and everyone around me. But David was a man's man. Okay? There was no feminine bone in his body. He was a warrior for God. And this guy was consumed with singing to God and talking about God's love for him and his love for God. In fact, I like the way the, the uh, New International Reader's Version translates Psalm 13:6. I will sing to the Lord. He has been so good to me. Beloved, if David could say that, if David could say that, then we much more so. We much more so since we know the incredible joy and blessing of Jesus Christ. As Christians, beloved, we have every reason in the world to sing God's praise with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have also been redeemed and saved from the wrath to come through God's gift, His beloved Son. Amen. All right. I think the vertical reason is probably one of the the strongest reasons. But I think the horizontal reason should not be ignored and should be considered. The horizontal reason. So here we go. One to another. This is the horizontal reason. These are the people that are around you. We sing because it has been the practice of God's people throughout history. They've always done that. When they come together, they have sing one to another and to the people around them. We sing because God is amazing, right? And He is worthy of our praise in all of its forms. Finally, beloved, we sing because our brothers and sisters in Christ need to hear our singing (laughs) in order to benefit from it. Okay, some of you are saying, I don't believe you. All right, how about this passage in Colossians 3:16? I think I've taken the New American Standard Bible because I think it's a better interpretation or translation actually, not interpretation of the passage. It's closer to the original. And it reads like this. Let the word of Christ, here's Paul giving instructions to the church at Colossae. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Beloved, I have no doubt in my mind that many Christians think that the teaching time during the church service does not begin until the pastor comes up and opens the Bible and begins to read and instruct from God's Word. But actually, we are being taught and admonished by one another when we sing biblical truths about our great Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are being taught and admonished. 
Christian music, beloved, that accurately reflects God's word. And that's why it's important that it does. I would dare say, and Jason, I think you'd agree, that there is some Christian music that does less of a good job at that. So we are careful about what we select. But if it's reflecting God's word, it instructs us as we sing it in important truths and it admonishes us. That means it cautions us. It warns us against unbiblical and unhelpful thoughts and behavior. I've had that experience. In fact, I have it every week as I look at and I sing and I hear being sang to me the truths of God's Word in these songs. Remember Paul's instruction to the church in Ephesus that we looked at just a second ago. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your, your heart. Notice that Paul didn't say address yourself in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, but he said to address one another, to speak to one another in this way. Why? Because your brothers and sisters, those around you, need not only to sing forth the praises and truths of God, but they need to hear them back as well. I need to hear them. You need to hear them. And I'll be honest with you, if someone sings poorly, it's actually more of an encouragement to me. Because they don't care. I'm going to sing. I'm going to take what God has given me. It may not be beautiful, but it is beautiful. And it's beautiful because of what I'm singing about. And that just encourages me. The worse, the louder, the better, I say. Now, those of you who have been gifted with beautiful voices, sing loud too. That will offset some of all that. (laughs) But beloved, if if we come to service, and those who don't sing, this is not necessarily why, but this can happen to all of us. If we come to service on Sunday not thinking about that horizontal reason and not thinking about how I can be a blessing to the guy on my left and the person on my right or even to my children or my family as they see me modeling what it means to praise our great God. And instead I come looking only to be blessed. Okay? I'm here. I'm waiting. Bless me. I'm not thinking about my contribution. I'm thinking about what I'm going to get. I'm coming to get. I'm not necessarily coming to give. And by the way, coming to be blessed is is absolutely appropriate. I'm saying there's another side to it. We come to be blessed. We come to bless. And if you come that way and you're thinking, I'm only here to be blessed, then you have, in a sense, neglected the horizontal reason for singing. You have set that aside. You've said, in a sense, I'm going to ignore that or it's not important to me. And if that is the case, then you have failed to do all to the glory of God, at least in that portion of the service. Because you were not fully seeking the good 
of your neighbor. You are not looking out for the other person, unknowingly or knowingly, but you're not. You're not seeking to edify someone else. Seeking to be edified, certainly, but not seeking to edify someone else, beloved. And unfortunately, in our culture, we have adopted consumerism. Consumerism. This is this idea that everything is there for me. Okay? And all I'm about as a person is consuming and getting. And it's very self-centered focused. Singing is not something that is offered to the church like a buffet at a restaurant. As if you can take it or leave it. Like it's one of the items on the menu. You know, I'll have a little chicken, I'll have a little potatoes, but I don't want corn today. That's not, that's not what's going on when we come together as a worship of the people who are worshiping God. I'll do this and this, but not this. That's consumerism. It is singing, a tangible way to show love for others and to strengthen them when you are here and whenever you're together, beloved. And I tell you, when, when we come together and we are singing, I am encouraged. I, I am motivated. I am... I rejoice in my soul. And as those around me sing, it encourages me to sing louder, with more enthusiasm. As I hear my brothers and sisters, who even though they've had a hard week, they come here and they want to use that voice that maybe wasn't used for things that were so righteous throughout the week. But at least right now, they want to do maybe the best thing that they can do with it. And they want to honor their God and honor one another by singing to Him. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. I hope, I, hope, I trust that that would be our, our heart. That that's what we would say when we come together. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Beloved, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. My hope is that as God's people, whatever we do, whatever we do would be done for the glory of God and that singing on Sunday would be viewed as just another beautiful way that God has graciously provided for us to do just that. Just one more form, right? I want to take advantage of every possibility, every way that I, as a saved individual, can bring praises to my God. And singing is a very good way for us to do that. So let me pray and then we will take communion together. Father God, I thank You for our time. It was short, but Father, I I trust that we would be encouraged in these things. The Father, that we would not see singing as just something we do, but, oh, as a glorious way to bring You glory. As a way to serve our brothers and sisters as we sing out those truths about You, about our salvation, about our future hope. Father, that 
we would rejoice in being able to let someone else hear that in their ear as we recite the verses in the song. Father, may it not be something that's done because it's expected of us or we're told to, but Father, may it be from a heart that has been devoted to You, that's in love with You, and that is moved by that to sing Your praises. Father, I thank You for Jason and his team. I thank You for the hard work that they put in every week to help us to that end, to lead us in that time that we come before You and use these voices to do something that delights You and that delights our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray for them and I pray that You would continue to help them as they work through all of the disciplines necessary to do that in a way that is excellent and is glorifying to You. Father, help us. We want to be a church that is not just another church. But Father has been changed and impacted by the grace that You have shown us and continue to show us. So that when people encounter the people of Summit Bible Church, they will know there is a difference. <clears throat> not a fake difference. Not a, not a made-up difference. Not kind of just showing it out there, but a real, true, eternal and internal difference in our lives, Father, because we have been changed by Your grace. And it shows up in everything that we do, including in the way that we bring You praise here on Sunday morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.